Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From Postcard from the Past and Wardle Studios, this is podcast from the past, the postcard podcast. This is the program where my guests revisit picture postcards that they've held on to. And together we try to understand what it was about these tiny cardboard envelopes that made them want to keep them from disappearing into oblivion. Each time I welcome to the studio two guests and it's their postcards that acts as a primrose path between our everyday lives and memories, mysteries and stories. I'm Tom Jackson and today my guests are blogger and novelist Joe Middleton, and comedy writer David Quantic. David and Joe, I'm thrilled that you're here. Very thrilled to be Thank here. Thank you for having us. <laughs> uh, Joe Middleton is a blogger. Uh, well, David once presented the Blagger's Guide. Joe could present the Blogger's Guide. She is that successful. Um, her blog, Slummy Single Mummy, has been a part of the digital landscape since 2009. Um, it's part of the genre of blog known as the Mummy Blog. Um, she writes with a disarming candour about... Um, well, all kinds of stuff, um, from teenage pregnancy to air fresheners in cars. Um, and all this blogging um, has led to a book deal. And Joe's first novel is due, or maybe out already, depending on when you're listening to this. Um, it's called Playgroups and Prosecco, Misadventures of a Single Mum. Is that right? Yes, that's right. So, Joe, you come to the studio today bearing a... TA1 postmark TA1, from yes. Taunton. That's Taunton in Somerset. So that's where I live at the moment. And although I wasn't born in Somerset, I mainly grew up in and around um, Bridgewater and Taunton. So that's where I think of as home. Very good. And Joe, do you still send postcards? Um, yes, I do occasionally. And I do have a stock of postcards at home. So I'm known to send in notes to school over the years on the back of postcards rather than um, on pieces of paper, which I think is nice. And do the teachers ever pay attention to the the, the, the picture on the flip side of the message? Or? I don't even know if they pay attention to the message, but <laughs> I think it's a bit nicer than a piece of blank paper. As long as it's something appropriate, I suppose it's a very good idea. Yeah. Well, David Quantic, uh, as I'm sure you know, uh, has not only written everything, he's even written the book about having written everything. Um, but to put more detail into who he is, um, he started out writing about music for the enemy, uh, and he's written music books, including the excellent uh, Revolution, book about Beatles' White Album. Uh, he wrote for The Day Today, The Thick of It, picked up an Emmy for his work on Veep. Um, you might also have read his very popular Grumpy Old Men books, uh, his novel, The Mule, 
Um, and you'll uh, almost certainly have heard him on uh, the radio at various times, uh, possibly in The Blagger's Guide we were talking about. Um, and if none of this rings a bell, and I'd be very surprised if it didn't, um, David was the voice of Coach Trip. And David comes to us today with... Now, we were talking about this, and you said it was a an East German postmark on a stamp that's still sticky. Yeah, so it's probably going to be Leipzig or Dresde or something like that. <laughs> so I used to buy, I used to collect stamps when I was a kid and used to get these packets of stamps in sweet shops and similar. And they'd be sort of arranged in kinds of animals or spacecraft. And they were, most of them were from East Germany. They were very odd because they were collectors only, which meant that while they were sticky on the back, they often had postmarks, so they looked like used stamps. So it was a bit of a logical paradox. But I'm kind of into fakes and forgeries, which will become apparent later, hopefully. And they were very beautiful stamps. They were worth nothing to anyone <laughs> who was over 10 years old. But they were lovely. But it was this slightly odd thing of putting a postmark on them. And the postmarks were beautiful. They were so immaculate and legible. And they were always on the same corner, Yeah, always on the same corner. You could just about read the name, but you couldn't really read a date. And do, do you think these stamps were, 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 were ones that were designed specifically for collectors or had... Other iterations of those stamps gone through the post in Germany somewhere? It's hard to tell because they were from around the world, but they were suspiciously lacking in American, British and French, <laughs> for example, stamps. It was the kind of countries that do weird things like a Beatles issue, yes. which is a lot commoner now, but in 1968 doing, I don't know, Jerry and the Pacemakers stamps was quite odd, but yes. that was what got a card from Russell Kamer. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, David, when did you last send a postcard? Um... I don't send them. I put them in letters to my agent sometimes. I think that's sending, isn't it? Yeah, I don't put a stamp on them, but I steal them, you know, from bars. You get these weird fake postcards that say, come and see Les Miserable, and there's not much room to write anything, and there's a fake address on it, like, to the crazy guy, house of music. <laughs> so I do a bit of that, but I don't send... The thing is, the internet's destroyed it because... You know, sending a picture of something to somebody to say, this is where I am, that takes two weeks to get there, and you don't want to send it anyway because your hand hurts writing, <laughs> when you can just text them a photograph of your legs on a sunbed. Well, uh, you know, obviously I'm going to have to argue with you, but I'll, I'll, do, I'll do that later. I think postcards still have some life in them, but um, you're right, the digital onslaught is making life pretty tough for the old postcard. Before we see and hear about the cards that David and Joe brought with them, I'll give you a quick one of mine. Um, this is a postcard from the past star card, um, yeah, an old card from which I've selected part of the message. And this one is, um, it has a, a decal edge, you know, that sort of um, waffly edge that you get. It's a picture card. It's a card from 1966, a long time ago now. It's a picture of a uh, multi-view of the Royal Pavilion in Brighton. A very uh, attractive blue sky. Uh, the kind you very rarely see in Brighton. And this was sent uh, to someone in Birmingham from some people who are called Mummy and Daddy. And the, it's written to someone called Maxine. Maxine, I won't, I won't give the surname. I just found this intriguing. I don't really understand it. You might be able to uh, throw some light on it. Sunny today, thank goodness. The speaker this afternoon was Mrs Olive Stevens. She is a television personality in the panel of Ask Me Another. Quite good. Hope you're being good. No, I've never <laughs> so, heard of Ask never, Me Another. Exactly. I wonder if it was a kind of a brain's trust where they were asking them to give advice or whether it was just more of a straightforward quiz. I have literally no idea. Maybe it was on the radio, but it says television. 
You know, she turned up as a speaker at something, at some event that this woman was attending. Quite Lost. good, though. I mean, that's high praise, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite good. You yeah. don't need better than that. No. Quite good is all you need. <laughs> uh, well, another quick one. This is a lot later. This is uh, yeah, in Ireland, County Galway, and it's sent to uh, Preston in Lancashire. And date on this one, a bit hard to see, 1970, I think. Thank you for your gift of a pound. <laughs> you hardly need more than that. Do you? Thank you for your gift of a pound. I used it to buy batteries for my cassette recorder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's very 80s. There's quite a lot of things that put that in the past. Yeah. <laughs> um, which it does remind me, I need to buy some batteries for my cassette recorder. <laughs> um, I should remind all of those of you listening to this podcast that images of these cards um, that we're discussing today are on the blog, postcardfromthepast.co.uk, so you can see that we're not making any of it up. David and Joe, you've been kind enough to come to the studio today bearing postcards of your own, um, physical or in, in your mind. Joe, tell us what the first card you've got for us is. OK, so my first card um, is a little photo montage on the front and it says, Greetings from Mevagissi. And it was sent to my mum and me and my sister, Annabelle, from my grandma and granddad, so that's my dad's parents. And they used to go on holiday to Mevagissi every single year and go to the same place. Um, so I would imagine that this is sent in the 90s because um, it's just to my mum, so it would be after my parents separated. But it doesn't have a postmark on it, so I think they must have sent it in an envelope. Ah, no stamp either. No stamp. So, that, so I think Not even an East it, European one. <laughs> no, nothing. Either they just, you know, t- took potluck and put it in the postbox and it found us, but I suspect they sent it in an envelope with um, perhaps a postcard. Or a pound note. Or, or a pound note. Maybe. And then I used it to buy batteries for my cassette recorder. Um, my, so my grandma and granddad used to go on holiday to Mevagissi and my granddad was always in charge of writing the postcards. And That's quite unusual, actually. Yeah, he was quite... Um, he took the lead in quite a lot of things like that. Like, he uh, is famous for making a really good Victoria sponge. Right. Like, he always made the sponge, like, a, any kind of cakes required. And he also made a very good sherry trifle, which you could smell a mile off and you would be, like, just drunk after a bowlful. Um, so postcards were one of his things. But he had this way of writing postcards which made them sound very businesslike, as though he was writing a kind of um, memo. So my favourite line from the back of this one is, the Royal Yacht Britannia sailed across the bay on Sunday so as to provide an unexpected spectacle. <laughs> Which is just, it's lovely, isn't it? We've been very fortunate with lovely weather, so most enjoyable. Very um, nice. That is, that is quite a formal way of writing it. Yes, and he, he has quite a dry sense of humour as well. So not in this one, but sometimes, you know, he would say things like, a highlight of the afternoon was the moistness of the sandwiches. <laughs> and then, <laughs> he, they're just... Very lovely. Um, they've both passed away now, so it's nice to have these kind of memories. Did, did you notice the um, the characteristic way he was writing when you were younger, or is that something you've noticed in, in retrospect? I think we've always noticed it because my mum and dad always noticed it at the time, so they kind of made us aware of it. So it's it's a kind of family tradition, really, and that's that's how he wrote. Um, if if I were inclined lovely. to do it, and and I don't think I'm. I uh, have the time. You could definitely put together a doctorate on the way people describe the weather through time. Oh, yes, because definitely. the weather doesn't change really. It's kind of more or less the same. <laughs> yeah. But we describe it in so many different ways 
or different ways now from the way we did in the past. Yeah. Uh, I, I do read when I go through a lot of cards, and, and some of the cards I see refer to um, we've we've been we've been very lucky. Well, you, your your grandfather said we're very fortunate with the weather. Yes. The other one we get is the weather has been very kind, kind to us. Yes. As if the weather has a kind of. Um, yeah, beneficence. It can, it can smile on you. Whether or not to let you have a nice holiday or not. I think I don't know that we write so much about the weather now at all. I suppose you can see it in the picture on your Instagram normally, or your tweet, or your uh, text message. Well, that's a very that's a very nice card to start with, uh, Joe. Now, David, you your cards are somewhere within your memory and your heart. Yeah. Can you unburden yourself of those? Yes. I mean, the first one is a is a card of Yuri Gagarin. Yuri Gagarin, of course, the first man in space. Uh, I was always a bit obsessed with. I was always fascinated by the Russian space program because it seemed better than the the American one. Is the one we always see on TV with famous people in spacesuits and big American flags being glamorous. The Russian one's much more interesting. They're much tougher than they... There's a famous story that the Americans spent millions... It might not be true. Americans <laughs> spent millions of dollars developing a pen that wrote in zero gravity and the Russians took pencils. <laughs> <laughs> and that just sums it up. American spaceships, their capsules land on the ocean. It's a bit weeding. Russian ones land on the ground in the middle of nowhere, in the Urals, in the <laughs> wilds. And then you think, blimey, that's tough. And... There's something more glamorous about the Russian space. I mean, I know the Soviet Union was a horrid country, but there's something about, you know, the idealism of space travel. Americans were just, we have to get there before the Russians, but the Russians, I don't know, and Yuri Gagarin's supposed to have said, you know, the universe belongs to everyone, and they asked him what it's like in space. He said, I could have gone on flying forever. Valentina Tereshkova, first woman in space, also Russian, she was interviewed about five years ago, and she said what she wants to do now, now that she's old, is go to Mars and not come back. Wow. Uh, I made a short film about that. And there's just something poetic about the Soviet space program, being the first in space, being these kind of revolutionary socialist heroes, no matter how grim the reality was. So I love Russian postcards. I love the slogans. You know, the cosmos belongs to everybody is a beautiful slogan. And Yuri's fascinating. He died young. You know, he was a young, good-looking peasant boy. He had all the qualifications. He was a, a top pilot. And he shares the same birthday as one of my sons, which is really, really nice for me. And you so we're talking about this as a card that is notional, but you have a card like this? So you had, had a card? Many, many. So as a kid, cards, you were collecting yeah. these? In sort of later life, it was quite right. hard when I was a kid to get hold of Russian stuff. Now you can't move for it. <laughs> yeah, and I've seen, I went, there was an exhibition at the Science Museum. I've seen Russian capsules and bought some postcards there. And they're amazing things. It's like going going up in a, I don't know, a ball, like a ball that you can just fit into. Ridiculous. They, they, were, they, were, they were leading the space race, the Russians at that time, weren't they, really? Yeah, they nearly made it to Mars. It was so close. But, and they had a, the same kind of adversity that the Americans did. They had deaths. Stephen King wrote an essay once about how he was watching a horror film when he was a kid, and you know, classic American teen stuff. And the manager came out and stopped the film and said that I have some terrible news. The Russians have put a satellite in space. It's called Sputnik. And he said that was the day the world changed for him because it basically meant the Russians could bomb America. Right. So right. they had they had access to the to the skies. Yeah, and so for, you're quite right. For ten years, the Russians were in the lead, and it was only the moon landings when the Russians kind of lost their 
took their eye off the ball. Yeah, well, that's very interesting. So the second card you have with you is, is again, also in your heart. And this, this does tie into your much of your career, which is spent making people laugh. So tell me about your interest in uh, comic postcards. Yeah, Donald, Donald McGill, one of the great... I mean, just an amazing comic artist. And I grew up in first Plymouth and Exmouth in Devon. So I grew up by the sea, and my holiday jobs were always in souvenir shops. Oh, really? Or holiday camps, yeah, so... I don't know about you, but my experience of people from the rest of the country was that they were deranged idiots who would <laughs> send each... Just descended in the summertime. Yeah, and they yeah. would do things like buy fudge to post home. It's like, <laughs> why are you posting fudge? And they would go up to the most hideous things like Devon Violet's perfume, which is a kind of insecticide, basically. And they would go, oh, this is lovely. You're like, no, it's disgusting. So, but yeah... I loved being by the scene. The thing I really loved was saucy postcards because obviously when you're a young boy, it's like, oh, my God, it's nudity and sex and I don't understand this joke. And they were pretty bad. In the 60s and 70s, saucy postcards were worse than carry-on films. They were just... Everyone looked like they were about to have a heart attack. They were like <laughs> red faces and rosy cheeks and they weren't well. But then I came across Donald McGill's stuff, which is much earlier, and which is much more subtle... Not much more subtle but genuinely very funny. I loved Donald McGill. I became a bit obsessed. And I once did a talk at a French university called The Vicar Sponging His Aspidist. Have you got it? There's, a, there's an image here. Yeah, you can, you can refer it shows. To it. Listeners may know this one. Two women walking past a window, and inside it is a vicar. One of the women is saying, there's the vicar at the window sponging his aspidistra. <laughs> the other one is saying, horrid old man, he ought to do it in the bathroom. <laughs> Which is essentially a joke about a man washing his penis in public. <laughs> and it's, it's fantastic because also it's a whole lost world. You don't see vicars now. You don't, aspidistras were the, the go-to plant of the early 20th century because they required no maintenance. They were huge. You know, George Orwell wrote a book called Keep the Aspidistra Flying. You know, there's the biggest aspidistra in the world was a, a music hall song. Imagine paying to see that. So it's a perfect encapsulation of a lost world. And also these women, I think they're when they're saying a horrid old man, they're actually thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind seeing a vicar sponge his aspidistra. <laughs> I think you're reading more into that. I may be. I don't see that in their eyes, but... No. Well, one of them's, actually, one of them's looking away and one of them's looking quite hard. <laughs> So I don't know, but everything circles in this world. You know, everyone's got rosy cheeks and round bits. And it is a very round style he has, isn't it? This is probably my favourite postcard in the world. And I did do a talk to a room full of French academics called The Vicar at the Window Sponging His Aspidistra. It was worth it for the title. Oh, yeah. How did, how did you get that gig? Um, it's a long story. It was a conference about comedy and writing. I went with Jonathan Coe, who's the funniest writer in the world. And it was very interesting and lots of fun. And they, but this was because this was simply your favourite thing and an interest. Yeah, you thought let's do the talk. And fr the French do ha did have um, seaside postcards, and they were reasonably dirty, but they're a bit weirder. I love. I mean, I love the anarchy of this kind. Yeah, of this kind of entertainment is just pushing it, seeing how far you can go. But at the same time, I'm sure if you'd asked Donald McGill, he would have said, "Oh, I'm not a filthy person at all. I'm very respectable." Have an interest in houseplants. Yeah. Well, she is wearing a fur, so that's very respectable, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, she's definitely meant to be upset, isn't she? She's, um, she's Margaret Dumont from the Marx Brothers, or she's, she's, she's meant to be shocked by what's going on. 
I suppose maybe because they're, they're a bit upper crust, a bit snooty. I like the idea that it's just his lack of manners that he should be sponging <laughs> it in the bathroom. Yeah, he can sponge wherever he wants yeah. as it's behind closed doors. Yeah, just watch where you sponge. That's the motto of this postcard. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's actually decorum. It's a motto for life, really, isn't it? <laughs> That's I've all it is. To hold to it. <laughs> One more quick card from me. This is uh, a card of Longleat. Massive tourist attraction. Ah, yes. Um, That's quite near me, isn't it? This this is a, a room where I mean I I've got more pictures than I can put on the wall, but they've <laughs> they've kind of gone to town here. There's pictures <laughs> everywhere and and on the ceiling. Um, the card is about Longleat. This is um, from 1965. Uh, you might even remember this stamp, David. I remember it. The um, Salvation Army stamp. Oh yes, very there, there weren't many stamps commemorating things in those days, and that that was one of them. And um, the message is, it was sent to Hertfordshire by someone called Audrey, and she says, Yesterday we visited Longleat, a magnificent house and grounds, but Freddie and the Dreamers were there. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, were about a thousand of their followers. Yeah. Of course. So. Well, that spoiled the trip. <laughs> who'd have thought? Yeah, yeah. What's going to spoil your trip to Longleat? Not the lions. <laughs> Freddie and the Dreamers. Uh, probably doing some terrible photo session or a PA. Freddie and the Dreamers, they were grim. Actually, I don't know what a knock Freddie and the Dreamers. Freddie Garrity, was it? Freddie Garrity. He had a famous dance called Do the Freddy, which looked a bit like someone being electrocuted. <laughs> yeah, he, he sort of had wobbly legs. Is that what he did? Yeah, and he did. He sort of did a kind of T, uh, a bit like a candelabra with his arms. It was a terrible dance. It was not a holly gully by any stretch of the imagination. But it sounds like, and I guess it's hard to always remember this, in 1965 he was enough to ruin someone's day well, at Longleat. There's a thousand fans just there at Longleat ready to watch him yeah. do his candelabra dance. I guess if it's the height of summer and there's all these kids in that area on holiday, you know, so then the word goes out. Yeah. Freddie and the Dreamers are over at Longleat. I can't see it being fun for anybody. <laughs> Well, Audrey really didn't enjoy it. Um, I think, yes. I don't know if she says that she's ever going to go back there. Well, Freddie's dreams aren't going to be there the second time. The chances are. <laughs> You're really unlucky if you go yeah. twice and Freddie and the dreams are there both times. Unless he actually is the Marcus of Bath. <laughs> well, that's, that's certainly a possibility. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. 
Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Um, you're listening to podcasts from the past, the Postcard Podcast. My guests today are blogger Joe Middleton and writer David Quantic. Uh, Joe, what's the second card you have for us? So today? my well, second card, second cards, I think. It yeah, is. is is a a little collection um, of cards between me and uh, my dad. This is a postcard from Paris that I wrote to my dad, and it's um, it's got it's perforated edge along the top. And I remember buying um, what was. It was like a pack of ten postcards that stretched out onto. Oh yeah, sort of folded out into. Yeah, folded sort of concertina, and then you could you bought them for I don't know um, a couple of francs. I guess it was nineteen ninety one, and then you could tear them off and send them to people. Um, So I sent this one to my dad, and it's just the most bizarre stream of consciousness. That the handwriting is terrible, but I have made an excuse for that. It says, bonjour, so I'm getting into the spirit of things. Yeah, good work so far. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's like being in France. Right? Uh, But that's where where the French ends. Uh, It says, I bought this card in Paris, and I'm writing it now while I'm waiting to board a boat for a trip up the River Seine. I'm leaning on my hand, and it's starting to get quite hot. I don't know whether that's my hand specifically, or the weather (laughs) generally. And then I said, someone's just said, look at that dog. And now they're whistling and going to look at it, the silly mongrel, Abianto. Wow, what a, that was a real snapshot of a moment. It's like yeah. Proust. <laughs> <laughs> How old were you? I'd like to say I was only seven or eight, but I would think I was 13. So, but I seem to remember around that age, I was reading quite a lot of Adrian Mole. And I know uh. Adrian Mole had a, a mongrel dog and also wrote in quite a... It's quite a dry... And the funny little details. Yeah, so I I was probably trying to be Adrian Mole. A real-life version. Yeah. But what's what I like about this postcard is it was the first time I ever went abroad, which was nice, and I I was thinking I don't, I'd never went abroad with my family. So this was a French exchange trip from school. And also it was, I think, maybe not very long after my parents separated. So at the bottom, I've I've actually sent it to my dad, but care of my mum. Right. And at the bottom, I've written, I forgot your address. So <laughs> I would imagine he's not been gone long. Right. And so I've sent him this postcard, but so I don't... it was a very particular moment in your life that you sent that. Yeah, that's quite a, like a snapshot of where where we were as a family at the time. But I remember having a really good time. Although I have a another postcard that I sent to my dad also on the same trip and it it says that the house I was staying in was very ornamental and I'm afraid I might break something. So uh, there might have been a certain amount of stress around around the house. Um, but yeah, I think I had a nice time and that was exciting for me because we'd only ex- ever really been sort of Cornwall or South Wales before. Those French exchanges were stressful. Yeah. You're going to somewhere, I mean, you're, you're staying in a stranger's house and it's in France. I know. And I couldn't really speak any French. I mean, I've got bonjour and abianto down. But... <laughs> Um, and I remember you just you've got, you had like an A4 sheet of paper given to you at school with a headshot of the person on, and then like a little bit of information about them, like oh they like tennis, but I mean that doesn't fill you with confidence. Um, and then you're just taken to France and collected by these families, and then driven off 
into the middle of nowhere. Obviously, you've got no way of talking to anybody at home unless you ask to use the phone, which is... It's real immersion, isn't it? Yeah, and I can rem- I remember it being really scary and, the, and my exchange partner was called Oralee and her, her dad was quite, not aggressive, but he was quite forceful and I remember sitting down to have dinner one night and he was eating a rabbit's head. Oh um, <laughs> and I'm sure that that actually happened. Uh, and I was obviously looked shocked and he sort of arranged the salt and pepper around it to try and shield me from it. But <laughs> it was it was scary when you've never been abroad before and you're just there without anybody that you know. I wonder if there's a subsection of all this I should be doing, which is postcards from foreign exchanges because they're nearly always really cries for help. Yeah, it was interesting because we were talking about it when I went to see my my dad and my stepmom and I brought these postcards out to show them and they were remembering other exchange students that they'd had or um, and so my stepmom was a nurse and so she was given a child who needed injecting every day because she was a nurse and she said she had no idea what she was injecting this child just arrived with a sort of cool box full of medication and she was told to just inject it every day (laughs) just because she was a nurse they'd paired her up yeah it's uh it was quite stressful you ever get sent on a french exchange david Uh, i did a german exchange and yeah it was a bit odd i mean i quite liked except the boy was a bit odd i mean remember once we were having dinner at my house and he was in England and he had a fried egg and he cut round the edge, at the white and then put his fork underneath the yolk and sucked the yolk out. <laughs> <laughs> and knowing him as I did, I think it might have been a deliberate act of provocation. Oh, really? <laughs> and, yeah, I just remember every so often he would, in a fit of pique, just recite his English lesson with something like, Mr and Mrs Thompson have gone out for the evening, but when they get home, oh, what a surprise, the house is upside down. The ch-. And it just went on like this. It was an account of a severe burglary. I, I did a German exchange as well when I was 16 and I was six months pregnant at the time. And my German teacher was, was really good. On the one hand, he was, he was very like, pregnancy's not an illness, we're not going to treat you any differently. But also I was really tired um, and he didn't really make any allowances for that. And I was only 16 and I was in Germany. And my exchange partner was... I think she was disappointed that I wasn't able to go out with her every the... night and and drink in parks with her friends or whatever she wanted me to do. And one afternoon, she abandoned me in Hamburg train station. Oh, oh my God, what a place. Yeah, and, um, and somebody that I was there with, their partner, the exchange partner, was a bit concerned and took me back to their house and they had to get in touch with her parents and have them come and collect me. But that was a bit scary. She didn't come back for her part of the trip. Oh, no. Um, I should I, think the shame. Yeah. So we got out of that. So that was nice um, because I had my daughter by then and she was about six weeks old, so I don't think she would have enjoyed that either. No, you were in a different place. We were at different stages in our life, I think it would be fair to say, yeah. yeah I remember going to Germany on a school trip like that and staying with the family and the, the young people around were... Um, they went ballroom dancing all the time. They were my age, they were 15. Yeah. And they would go out ballroom dancing. That's just sick. <laughs> you know, now maybe it would be very fashionable with the, the world of Strictly, but at the time it felt to me like, why? Yeah. Why are you doing this? It does not compute. Um, you know, I was imagining I was living an exciting teenage life. I wasn't particularly, yeah. but I certainly wasn't going ballroom dancing. <laughs> my no. stepsister told a story about her French exchange um, and said that she 
connected to postcards had she really um upset her exchange partner because her exchange partner wanted her to go and watch her do her ballet lesson um and she wanted to stay back at the house and write her postcards um and she'd so already okay. watched one ballet lesson the day before. And <laughs> she's like, I really don't want to watch another ballet lesson. Can I just stay home? And the exchange partner was really upset about it. It's a strange thing. It's not really yeah. like anything else you ever do in life. No, and I don't think it, you would ever get it now, would you? Because you don't, would never have that same being totally disconnected from your family. Yeah, well, you'd at least you'd be phone, wouldn't you? Yeah, so, so but it was. Well. So you, I don't think you would ever be able to recreate that same experience. No, and probably for the, for the best. Really. Yeah. <laughs> Now, David, your third card is, um, again, it's kind of notional, but um, these are cards that you remember, is that right? Yeah, it's not a card I have, but it did exist. When I was a teenager in Devon, I used to listen to the John Peel show, and it was like lots of people from that era. A real lifeline, just the music and the things in the music suggested a different world. And there was a band called Susie and the Banshees, and John Peel used to play them. And what I found amazing was that, you know, every... The whole world of celebrity and DJs was basically like, I was talking to my great mate, you know, shaking Stevens last night over a <laughs> cocktail at such and such. And it was kind of a icky world, you know, a lot of dubious people. And it was just all... And what fascinated me was that John Peel used to get postcards from some of the acts. And one of them was Susie Sue. And Susie Sue was a terrifying figure at this point. You know, she invented goth. She denies inventing goth, but she invented goth. She was like nobody else. She was like if Kate Bush had died and come back from the dead. <laughs> she was brilliant. You know, she was a very scary, very talented person. And the idea of her going on holiday and sending postcards to anyone was so bizarre. But John Peel was going, oh, I've just got... And you could tell he was quite pleased. I've just got another postcard from Susie too. And it was on the level of like, dear old man, we are having fun. You know. So he'd read the whole thing out? He'd read the whole thing out, yeah. And he got lots of postcards from different bands, but one's from Susie's, and I tried to find them on tapes, but I couldn't find any. And it just fed into this strange world of John Peel that he was... Because he seemed to be friends with, not celebrities, but talented people. He'd play a David Bowie record and go, he owes me 300 quid. <laughs> and he'd play a T-Rex record and go, whoa, Mark, it's very sad. And I remember one event when he came on and said, I'm not feeling great today because I ruined a lifelong friendship. And I'm like, what? Oh, my goodness. And then he revealed that one evening he'd been at a birthday party dinner where he'd walked down the table. He was so drunk, kicking over all the glasses. Goodness. This was not what you got from, you know, Mike Reed and Simon Bates. But the postcard thing stuck with me, and I would love to see those postcards. I wonder if they still physically exist somewhere. I'm sure they do. There's lots of John Peel websites, and lots of people have produced their own postcards from John Peel, which are generally very nice. He had very nice handwriting. Very, you know, very amusing postcards of obscure British villages, by and large. And I wrote, this is the, almost a plug, a book, a crowdfunded novel called Go West, which is all about a road trip to the West Country with forgeries and fakes in it. But I was obsessed with this idea that I discovered you could... So it's a bit long, this bit, but I discovered I you, could, yeah. you could download John Peel shows intact from the internet. And I used to record them off the radio. And I love the idea that I can still listen to the shows intact with all the the conversation in between reading postcards and the hiss on the air and the records being in the wrong order. And I suddenly thought, what if you had an old car and instead of your MP3 player, you had a cassette player? What if you transferred them back to cassette? And suddenly I just had an idea, this bizarre idea of the faking of the authenticity, that it's sort of, to make it look real, you would take these cassettes that have been transferred to MP3 and transfer them back down 
onto a cassette. And then I just thought I had an interesting character who was a bit untrustworthy. <laughs> but John Peel's the a kind of a Greek chorus in the book. Oh, really? He, he features? Go, he features. He go. I used just transcriptions from the tapes, apart from one bit which I made up, which is crucial, not crucial to the plot, but I liked it. So he's he's commenting on the action indirectly. And there is a wonderful thing, which has nothing to do with postcards. But it is actually because he had a thing called the Festive 50. Yes. You'd send in your 10 favourite records of the year and he'd compile them and you'd put them on a postcard. He'd compile them. And, of course, all the tape heads, all the Peel fans have found them all and put them online, but they can't find the 1977 Festive 50. No one has got it. And they know what's in it. They, well, the, it's the list they can't find, or they him reading list. it out. The actual, well, you go like, oh, at number 50, it's Joy Division, blah, 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 now at number 40. Right. So there's loads. It's, I mean, it went on for 20 years, Festive 50, but the first, like the second one, and of course, just to make it even better, it's a Festive 60, because it was John Peel. <laughs> because. And so I made that a kind of grail. The reason the character's got all these tapes <laughs> is he's trying to find it. <laughs> the 1977 Festive 50. Yeah, and it's a genuine, I mean, probably by the time this goes out, someone will have found it, and there'll be a documentary on BBC4 with Niall Rogers in it and all that kind of thing. But... It fascinated me that there is this holy grail, for even for John Peel. Everyone's got a holy grail in their cupboard somewhere yes. or trying to find one. But it's interesting, this business of pop stars writing to to John Peel because it does sound... Suddenly it just feels wrong. Susie Sue, she's this kind of exotic figure. She's like a... As you say, she's like a photograph of Sarah Bernhardt or something. She has this strange look about her. Very and distant. She, she's not real. Absolutely. And yet she was writing postcards, which seemed seemed then maybe quite prosaic. Yeah. But postcards were, they were the stuff of these programmes, that the, the public would be sending postcards mm. to every DJ on Radio 1. That was, that was how communication happened, really, wasn't it? Postcards were it. Answers on a postcard. Totally. Yeah, the emails yeah. of the day, you know, and a lot easier reading out your know, BBC blah, blah, than going like stuart.maconey at bbc.co.uk every two seconds. Yes. It's a total postcard culture. And... One of my favourite things, if ever I'm on Six Music, is I go in their foyer and they have thousands of postcards of the DJs. Oh. And I just take them because they're obviously there to be taken. <laughs> so I've got nine million pictures of Paul Gamacini <laughs> in a drawer. You heard it here first. Yeah, they're my secret. I, um, when I'm going through my big boxes of postcards, which, which I do spend a lot of time doing, I do sometimes find cards that are addressed to the BBC, actually, from the early 60s. Wow. Two-way family favourites, I think it might be. Or was that BBC? Anyway, one of those That's stations. Radio 2. Radio 2. Home service. Home, yes. And Junior Choice. Sound for, sound oh. for Junior, Ed Stupot. And there seemed to be a protocol, and I, I've never worked in a radio station, so I don't know. But what they used to do is if they were going to play the record, as far as I can tell, in a red pen, not on like this, they would underline the song title and the artist title. And I guess that was the one that then they got it to play. They could go and, mm. you know, send it to the library, I suppose, and yeah. look for the record. So what always intrigues me is how did it, how did it get to me, that card? Mm. From Ed Stewart's studio, not that far away from where we are now, 45 years ago, and then I find it in a box on my doorstep. It would be so lovely, though, wouldn't it, to be able to follow back a postcard and see its journey and how it ended up. Yeah, I mean, yeah it would be. And I... I sometimes think about that because I could do that. I could, I could, I could try and trace the person who sent the postcard requesting uh, Teddy Bear's picnic or whatever it was. Yeah. But it still wouldn't answer the question of what happened. How did it get? But yeah, between to you? then and now. Yeah. Of course, it's the opening sequence of Billy Liar. Is it's a voiceover going, and for it's Billy's mum had sent in a request, and there's a whole plot that she 
Billy's ashamed of her because she shows her emotional vulnerability in his postcard. Me and the old man, and she's like, she doesn't talk like this in real life. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's very interesting. People do say, well, why don't you find out who sent them? And um, maybe, maybe, maybe I should. I just think when you've got so many cars, you go a bit mad. And I wonder if it would kind of shatter the illusion whether the it would the magic is in not knowing. Well, a bit about them. Yeah, I think for me, what one of the things I find interesting is the fact that if you look at so many of something, you kind of, you almost like you can extract an essence from them that belongs to everyone. Mm. So it, it's not just that one person wrote something old, it's that we all used to like write something old. Like the weather. And, yeah, yeah, and just preoccupations that we all had. Mm. So it becomes a sort of exercise in anthropology or something rather than Rather than the individual, biography. yeah. My wife has one from the early 20th century, and she got it because it's a postcard of a hotel where her grandmother spent her honeymoon, which by complete coincidence is the town we live in. Oh. <clears throat> we haven't lived there for that long, so it's nice. But the actual postcard, which has nothing to do with us, is lovely because it's just a very urgent kind of, can you do this and please cancel the milk? And you know, in the days when you could get three deliveries a day of postcards, mm. it's obviously like, oh, hell, I forgot to count. I'll just knock off a postcard, and it's really specific. We want this milk, we don't want that. Somebody's somebody getting it, oh, thanks, a postcard, and just... Yeah. yeah, because you could send things like, in the morning, send a postcard saying, I'm gonna, I'll am going to, i see you at five o'clock, yeah. and things, you know, it was much more immediate wasn't it yeah i think i think at the absolute height maybe this is a bit of a, a myth but i think you could invite someone to tea they could reply and you could cancel it you could get three different oh wow all in one day to, yeah if you really let's go with post. that i think that sounds good yeah, yeah it's you know, great yeah and i think postcards were quite functional at first i think this idea of being becoming holiday missives and sort of little um tokens of affection almost mm. came a bit later actually i think they were quite functional to begin with well that's very interesting. So, uh, thank you so much, the pair of you. Thank you. Um, thank I'm you. never. It never ceases to surprise me. What uh, I'm never surprised. No, I am always surprised uh, by the stories that these. <laughs> I'm cards... always surprised by how unsurprised I am. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> that is exactly what I meant to say. Yeah, I'm thrilled that you could come along, really, and to to meet you and to to hear your postcard stories. Another quick reminder for everyone at home: images of the cards. Perhaps not the ones inside David's head, but the others <laughs> will, will all brain be... Scans. Yes, we'll scan his brain. Um, they'll all be on the website, www.postcardfromthepast.co.uk, including the one more from me here. This is in the past postcard style. Um, it's actually a rather dreamy picture, this. Um, we've moved away from Wiltshire. Oh, We're now in nice. Spain, clearly. Um, it's a poolside image with some uh, nice tables. And it appears to be after the bomb has gone off. There's no one there. And... Um, it's sent to Aberdeenshire. I can't actually read the name of the person who wrote it. But the message, the bit that appealed to me, it said, um, The bullfight was very well done, but it was a bit gory. You should have come instead of buying a caravan. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. For contempt. Well, and there's, and there's no equivalence. One's going on hot uh, anyway. But um, so yeah, that, I don't even have a date for that. It's hard to read. Spanish ones are hard to get the. You can't read the dates very well on the on the postmarks. Unfortunately, you need the fake stamp on it. Yeah, that's what the we fake need. watermark date I'm mark. Not, I'm not sure the Spanish didn't occasionally do um, those sweet shop stamps. And it's Franco looking like he owns all the stamps in the world. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and of course the, the holiday boom sort of took off really after he died. That's when and, and Spain really opened up. Oh, he missed it. Yeah. <laughs> How regrettable for him. Um, 
before we let uh, David and Joe back into the world, I've got one more card for you both to have a look at. Um, I suppose I should hand it to you, really, David, because you're the, the man with the background in music. Oh, my goodness, it's a record. This disc is offered. This disc is offered to you through the BP Touring Service. Listen to it as a souvenir of your holidays in Belgium. Thank you. I will. And it shows a woman with flowers next to a, another woman with flowers. And oh, there's a load of stuff about BP. And there's a oh woman. There you go. We're not we're, we're not sponsored by BP, but um, I think the card was. So it's a big square postcard, like a seven-inch. I suppose it's exactly the same size as a as a, a, a forty five RPM record sleeve, isn't it? Have you played it? Well, um, young David here has um, been keeping an eye on us. Perhaps if we ask him very nicely, he might be able to see if he can cool. do something with it for us. You got something? Yes. This is my phone plan. I must remember your vacation in Belgium. Oh, it's in Flemish. You remember your vacations in Belgium. Do you feel like you're being taken back to Belgium? Um. Recorder class, maybe. Yeah. Oh, piano. Oh. This is a change of tone, isn't it? I don't really know why these sounds are meant to sound Belgian. Jacques Brel Belgian? Yes, I think he was. This isn't him, though. No. <laughs> we'll have two from him later. <laughs> so basically, the Walloon culture is French singing and the Flemish culture is recorders. Yes. <laughs> That's as good as it gets. And your trip to Belgium was basically going into a bar where they were playing the piano. Yeah, this is... I don't think this is playing in the art gallery. Well, as the sounds of Belgium continue to rotate at exactly 45 RPM, that's it for this time on Podcast from the Past. I'd very much like to thank my first-class guests for sharing the postcards from their pasts, Joe Middleton and David Quantic. Thank you both. Thank you very much. Thank you. And thank you for listening. Bye for now. You can see more postcards with their messages posted every day on Twitter. Do follow me at Past Postcard. And you can buy the book Postcard from the Past by me, Tom Jackson, at Amazon and all good booksellers. And if you're looking for podcast production, check out wardorstudios.co.uk. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.